Conte, who is now in at Tottenham, back in English football today. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. You can follow me at Aestetka. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot on both Twitter and Instagram. Got a full house with me today. It is Scott, Dakota, and Todd alongside. And we are here to talk about Tottenham Hotspur moving on in the Carabao Cup to the semifinals with a victory over West Ham United. A 2-1 victory at that at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yesterday. We're recording this for context on uh, Thursday evening. So uh, by the time this gets out to you, this is a nice little early Christmas gift. And uh, as we head into the, to the holiday weekend, uh, which is a nice thing, we'll start out by throwing it out to Scott. What's going on? He's at DSM Spurs. How are you, my friend? Can't complain, man. Just just wrapped up work for, for a few days. And um, yeah, holiday season is always a good time. And it just so happens that it aligns with Tottenham being the best fucking team in the world again, baby. So Things are good. Nothing wrong with that. We've also got Dakota. He's at Dakota J Booth. Dak, what's up, my friend? You know, I heard a rumor uh, yesterday that Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. Is that true? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not, boys. We're going to have to have you answer that one later. We've also got the Todd father here at TC underscore Kasho on Twitter. Todd, what's up, my friend? Gentlemen, any day that you get to, uh, well, send little brother back to where they belong is a good day. And uh, that certainly happened uh, yesterday. And, and, and no, Dakota, I, I, I think you heard that wrong. I, I actually believe it's uh, West Ham get battered everywhere they go. West Ham get battered everywhere they go. Something along those lines. Everywhere they go. Something along those lines, indeed. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur 2, West Ham United 1. This was kind of a, I don't want to call it thrilling, especially after what we saw last Sunday against Liverpool, because that was thrilling. That was like one of those on-the-edge-of-your-seat matches. But this was a a proper cup tie, and it had its ups and downs, and it was kind of fun, um, especially in those first uh, you know 40 minutes or so when when we got all the goals, and then Spurs kind of held on late. And uh, I enjoyed this one, guys. Uh, the, the, The lineup in this one, um, you know, a switch back to the three five uh, th- or three four two rather, um, or sorry three four three. I can I can look at the uh, the the team sheet here and figure this out for myself. <laughs> but um, it, it a slight switch from what we saw on Sunday. A couple, a little bit of rotation, but not a whole lot. Skipping Hoybier back in. Uh, we get Matt, a Matt Darty sighting on the right side. Um, Bergvine gets some action, which we will come on to Stephen Bergvine. Uh, because there's a lot to talk about there, but um, Scotty, what were your impressions kind of overall of this match? And, and, you know, how for me personally coming into this one, I wasn't nervous, but I know that West Ham have been a better team than, than most people would expect. We of course saw them earlier this year. Um, This was a a cup tie that I was kind of, I was excited to watch and also kind of not fully expecting definitive results, but Spurs got the job done, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it probably helped that I kind of forgot there was a, a match midweek until Tuesday night. That right. always that is always the case and always helps with you. Yeah, right? for sure. 
Um, so I woke up and I'm like, oh my God, there's a quarterfinal today. It's fantastic. Um, and I, I don't know. I think I was actually very confident. And I think it's just because of Conte, right? And I, I, I've seen how he's, he's got everybody playing. And um, coming off of Liverpool, it just felt like we were going to come out and just take it to West Ham. And we did. So, um, yeah, I was very confident. And I, honest to God, like, I'm not even – I'm not making a joke at all when I say this. I think it really paints a picture as to, like, how far things have come in such a quick amount of time. I mean, Harry Winks looked world-class against Liverpool, and he can be that good of a player. My point is Conte's got him there, and when those types of things are happening, it's pretty easy to be confident, right, um, to, to see the Harry Wings of old who probably performed as well against Liverpool as he did at the Bernabeu. Um it just shows that again, we're, we're in good hands and that just kind of translates into confidence at home against a team like West Ham. Well, yeah, it's playing good football, but pound for pound, we're a much better team. Right. Um, and I think where they had been edging us out all season was management. David Moyes is doing a really good job there with what's at his disposal. And we happen to have Antonio Conte now who no disrespect to David Moyes, but David Moyes is not Conte. Right. And, um, Conte's got a few more tools. So again, pretty easy to be confident, I think, and I'm sure it wasn't just me that felt that way. Dakota, I mean, what's that out to oh sorry, go ahead, Todd. Oh, I was just gonna say I, I wasn't that confident really? uh going Yeah, into no, no, I felt the same way. Really? Yeah, well, I, I think there's a couple of things that go into play. One, uh Mikel Antonio didn't play and he's been on fucking fire. Sure, great point. So uh the other the other thing is is I mean they are messing guys like we didn't it was ro- it was a rotated team. Right, Ashby, their back three. He just they just they, they rotated players, right? So, um, but to be fair, I thought that they did a really good job up front. I wasn't. I anytime you go into a London derby, the amount of times that we should have on paper knocked the socks off of these guys and then taken an unexpected L. That League Cup defeat in 2017 is still something that sticks in my craw. <laughs> like I just there's. I just, I fucking hate losing to these guys, and I blame it on Schumann mostly because he let me know exactly how terrible it is uh, to lose to West Ham, and, and so I mean that's always something that, that I've carried with me. So going into this match, it didn't feel particularly confident, especially because on paper this is the best team that these clowns have had in 25, 30 years. So that's something to discuss. That's that's really fair, and and I mean you guys say it was a rotated side. They. Still have Declan Rice, and that guy's playing out of his fucking mind too. Um, and he was for me, he was the best player on the pitch of any of, any, of either team yesterday, despite them them losing. I mean, he was incredible. Um, so I, I thought they were still a, a really formidable opponent. Dakota, what did you see from this match? What were your expectations going in, and and kind of the way that that Spurs come out of it victorious? Yeah, Todd, you mentioned they were playing a rotated team. We were too. We had. I think six ro- six players swapped in from from Sunday against Liverpool. So, and we're still dealing with a COVID issue that Antonio Conte mentioned uh, were the reason for the substitutions towards the end of the game. So, um, formation stood out to me. I was really hoping we were going to stick with the three five two, but we went back to the three four three. Which, interestingly enough, and I think we saw it more yesterday than we have previously. But Antonio Conte calls this a three four two one and i think yesterday yeah. we really saw bergvine and lucas being 
deeper than Harry Kane and Harry yeah. really staying up towards the top of the pitch. And uh, that allowed Steven Bergvine to really get in some good positions and crucially do the thing that he's not really been able to do for the last several months wearing a Tottenham shirt. And that's find an end product. Yeah. And oh boy, were those some end products yesterday from Steven Bergvine. Well, absolutely. It's interesting you bring up the, the the formation though, and that's actually something I think we need to dive in a little bit on here briefly, because it's come up in our group chat. You wanted them to go back to the to the two up top, um, and it's something that we've kind of spoken about. And and your point is is really smart. It it is more of a two one up top, especially f- from this cut match with Bergvine and Mora. But I thought that it kind of actually hampered Harry Kane. Which was, which was, was, I don't know if it was, oh, oh hold on. I, I said it hampered Harry Kane and everybody's, everybody's putting their hand up and jumping on me here. I don't know. You beat me to it, man. I want it, but go. Let me finish the point here. I, I, I don't know whether it was the formation or whether it was just an off game for Harry Kane after he performed so well, you know, against Liverpool. So what, I think which one of you guys want to jump in and tell me I'm I gotta wrong. take this. I disagree entirely. I think that the two one up top is extremely important because if you notice, Harry played the same kind of passes that he normally plays. It's just he's now doing it from a much higher position on the pitch, allowing Lucas Mora and Steven Bergvine to run at people, which is what they do best. And if you notice, I think that it, it really is the facilitating of Harry Kane that actually made that two one work. I don't think that it was Bergvine and Mora, despite the games that they ended up having and how well they played individually. I think that all of that ran through Kane. That's just, I mean, realistically, yeah. you, could, you could have driven a caravan through the roll, through the holes that they had defensively for Steven Bergvine and, and Lucas Mora to run through. I, I mean, you really could. Well, and honestly, mm-hmm. you, you know, to piggyback off of that, you, you hit the nail on the head, but Kane's a linchpin here. Kane... I, what I'm noticing, and I think we're all noticing it, Conte is either going to play a 2-1 or a 1-2, and I think I have no idea when he's going to play which, but if you have Tongi sitting behind Kane and Son, and then on the reverse you have Kane in front of Bergvine and Lucas or Bergvine and Son or Son and Lucas, any combination of those three guys, right? Depending on our opponent and how we expect them to play, Kane can do exactly what he did yesterday, which is command space and attention, allow those two guys to run off of him, as Todd just said. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. Kane's going to drop deep, allow those two to fire off of him, and that second goal was a prime – yeah, the second goal, right? Bergman's assist to Lucas was a prime prime example of that. And then against Liverpool, you stick Tongi behind Kane and Son, right? Um, So we have two pretty distinct ways of of playing up top, and I'm sure – I will not pretend to understand Conte's, you know, tactical approach, but there's – Probably, uh, or not probably, is for sure distinct reasons when where he would use the two, right? But they're they're both there, and I think what we're starting to see is like you know even though West Ham rotated a bunch, like Todd mentioned, we rotated a bunch too. I mean, Doherty played, Dakota, Ph and 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 Skip, you know, both played, and I don't what I know Winks played against Liverpool. I don't think Ph did, right? So no, he wasn't even in the squad. Yeah, and, and you know the left back, left wing back was rotated, and you know this is, I think Conte is really starting to figure out, you know, how to balance two equally um, potent, you know, lethal sides or whatever, depending on who we're playing against. So, and the the important part of everything you just said, 
Scott, is that the players who are being rotated in have to play well (laughs) for Mm -hmm. this to work. Otherwise, you're stuck with having to play one way all the time with the same players. And it's going to be more doable now that, you know, we're fairly or unfairly out of European competition and we're going to be playing less games, but you still want everybody in the squad to contribute. And I think what Antonio Conte has up his sleeve here is like you said, two distinct styles of play, which really conveniently for us match well with the players who are sitting on the bench, Deli Alley and Harry Winks coming in and Tongi and Dombele playing in that midfield playing in the middle of that midfield five with two strikers up top is, is just perfect for how you want them to play. And Harry Kane being the vacuum black hole that sucks all of the center backs right to him and creating that space around them is key, but it's only going to work well. It's only going to matter if those guys around him can contribute and can finish like they did on Sunday at Liverpool and like they did yesterday against West Ham. Well, hold on, because we finished for shit versus Liverpool, to be fair. Um, (laughs) But the opportunities were there, is the point. They sure were. They sure were. Yeah. Well, and and, and I think that, to your point, Dakota, you're right. There's there's distinct different playing styles. But it also seems like he's he's been able to get so many different players between the midfield and the attackers, not only to do the things that he wants them to, but to do them well. I mean, the fact that he's able to get Lucas – and Bergvine to come in and play the way that they did in a cup match in, in, in midweek, like, like they did, but also on Sunday, get guys like Winks and Dombele and Delhi to work in a midfield together as well as they did, because everyone coming out of that match, I mean, we, Scott and I did it on the pot uh, this past week. We, we praised the way that that midfield looked and felt and played together. Um, and for players like that, who haven't been getting the regular run of games to step into that spot and play that well, and look, I think the same can be even be said for the wingbacks. I mean, Region comes in, does fine. Matt Doherty deserves a shout, weirdly enough. I thought he played an okay game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that there's something to be said for the it, – it's weird because we all kind of, as Spurs fans, have bemoaned the, the lack of depth on this team. But then there are moments, and part of this goes to coaching, and part of this goes to, you know – the manager figuring out what he wants and still kind of being in the real infancy of this managerial stint under, under Antonio Conte. But it, it kind of goes to show that coaching matters. And, 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 and if he's putting these guys in the right positions to do the things that, that, that they are potentially capable of doing now, look more has to be done and, and they have to show it on a more consistent basis. But at least in this short term, we've seen really good things. Todd, you wanted to jump in there. It's all about management. It's all about Conte. All of this is Conte. And yeah. I, just, I, I just, I, you have to call it what it is. I mean, it's Harry Winks has been Harry Winks has been Harry Winks. And we've bemoaned him <laughs> for being Harry Winks for the last year and a half. And, and he's not be, the only one. No. And, and I mean, then that's fair. And, and we'll come on to, I have one question to raise at the end of this to, but, but after I, I echo your point, um, but it, it really is finding the right place for the player in the system. Mm-hmm. And I think Conte has been able to do that in very short order. And I mean, the records, the, how we've played since he's got here speaks directly to that. Now, the one question that I have for you is where the fuck is Giovanni LaCelso? <laughs> it's a good question. And it's something that we talked about a little bit um, 
in the group chat or or maybe it was it was before recording here it, to me the interesting part is that he has taken all of these midfielders outside of Lacelso and been able to do different things with them and made them at different times look really good in in, in doing certain things Lacelso remains a mystery and I think Ndombele still remains a mystery as well um to, to, to some extent but at least he's looked good, you know, for what he's been asked to do. Lacelso hasn't been fit. That's part of the problem. And yeah. and 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 the other big part of this problem too is, I think Dakota mentioned it. This team is still getting through, as as many teams are, a COVID outbreak and and still dealing with. Oh, Peh looked shit yesterday. Know, yeah, game. yeah, he he totally did, and that's what, like like we mentioned. That's why he had to come off. Um, I, I love that, that Conte utilized all five subs. Granted, the, the last one didn't come, I think, until about 84 or 85 minutes. Um, but, you know, I like that he's utilizing subs when needed. And that some of that's kind of necessary right now with everything going on. And the depth, which nobody really thought there was any two months ago, is being tested. <laughs> and they're coming through this. Yeah, I think it's something that I think has been really, really key with Antonio Conte of getting the best out of players like Deli Alley, like Harry Winks, is he communicates very clearly his expectations and what the players are responsible for on the pitch. So they have no excuses to go out there and be like, I didn't know that was my job. Yes, right. you did. I told you. And I think that is going to be an absolute career changer at Tottenham for Giovanni Lo Celso, because I don't think anyone has told him those instructions up until now. I think he's been told to go out there, be in this general area of the soccer field and play. And I think Giovanni Lo Celso needs some definition of what am I, what am I supposed to do? He needs someone to tell him those things at this point in his career. And I don't blame him. You know, we talk about how, how he's not performed well in a in a Spurs shirt, but he's had four managers in two years. Same for Tongi. Like that's difficult. Yeah. That's difficult to to adapt and to adjust. And I think Antonio Conte is exactly what Giovanni Lo Celso needs. And I think Gio is an attractive player for Conte because he can play in that two behind the one in like a Lucas Moura role. He can play in the flat three of a, of a midfield five in any of those positions where uh, Tongi or, or Harry or Deli played on Sunday. And I don't think that he's going to bounce back and forth is, is the point is the key thing here. I think he's going to be watched in training by Conte. Conte is going to be able to, and his and his staff. Let's not leave Conte's staff out of this. I think they are absolutely incredible, and they are an integral part to what Antonio Conte wants to accomplish in his career. But they, as a staff, are going to identify what Gio's best at, and that's going to be the role that Gio plays. Whether it's further forward, you know, as a, an attacking player, or whether it's as a true midfielder, is yet to be seen because he's been injured. But I think we're going to find out sooner or later because we kind of have a lot of matches coming up in not a lot of days. Well, and it's like we talked about the other day, Andrew and I, we, we have to, and you actually brought it up earlier, you know, that these guys all playing well gives us the depth that we actually truly need to, to have different styles of play. Right. But um, 
I think if you, if you look at Winks, if you look at Giovanni, Celso, if you look at Deli Ali, we're not getting much money for these guys in the market right now, right? Be it a loan fee or a transfer itself. And if Con- if Deli can be even just a part of Conte's squad going forward, be it off the bench primarily, be it in a starting role, I'm much more interested in that than like a $10 million loan fee, right? And and of course, the, the, the club would feel the same way, right? And these three guys, I think, are guys that a guy like Conte can get a lot out of. And, you know, even if they're not world beaters in the starting 11 week in and week out, to have them in and around the squad is much more valuable to me. You know, if they if they – if they're proving their worth and being there, right, then having them around is much more valuable than than the small number of millions we would get for their services elsewhere. Um, and I think that's a huge part of probably why we made the decision to sack Nuno and pay $20 million to have Conte around for, you know, 18 months is because we really didn't have another choice, right? Other than to find somebody who could maybe get a little bit more out of what we had because you can't repair a squad in a January window, right? So it was either get Conte in and let him start fixing these guys like Wing Steli and 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 Doherty, et cetera, um, or rebuild an entire squad for Nuno in January. And that wasn't happening, right? And here we are. But um, to Dakota's point, it's really starting to pay off. And, and I do agree. I mean, Gio can play anywhere in any of these systems we're talking about. He can play in a flat three. He can play behind two strikers. He can play, you know, as a two behind one striker. Um, he's a versatile guy. So there's a lot more that, that needs to be seen before decisions are made with him without question. Well, when it comes to Lacelso in the short term, I, you guys are saying he can do this, he can do that. I, I don't know what he can do because I haven't seen him play under Antonio Conte. I'll wait to to I'll wait and judge it when I see it under Conte. But I will say this: it would behoove him to try to do all those different things to try and be that that um, you know I don't want to say I, for lack of a better term, be that Swiss Army knife and be able to fill all of those different roles. That way, he can find himself on the pitch more because that's what is needed for this guy. His best ability right now needs to be his availability. He needs to be able to go out and, <laughs> and, and be on the pitch. And that's something that he has not been able to do yet. As long as people don't expect him to be a Danish army knife. Yeah. I think people will be happy. With him, amen. With his to, amen to that. Well, guys in also in the short term Spurs have earned themselves uh, a cup semifinal and a two-legged tie as of right now. We kind of know that this might not stay a two-legged tie for the long term because, um, you know, the world is going on and things are happening. But uh, as of right now, Spurs will play Chelsea at Stamford Bridge on January 4th, and then the return leg uh, a week later on, on the 11th. On the other side of the draw, it is Arsenal and Liverpool. So uh, I don't even want to talk about the potential about playing either Arsenal or Liverpool in a, in a cup final. I want to talk about playing Chelsea over two legs and how we feel about that in, in the League Cup because this is a cup that Spurs can win. I mean, with the way they're playing right now, even with these other three teams that are also good teams and playing well uh, right now, this is a uh, this is a cup that Spurs could go grab. I mean, hell, they, they were in the final of it last year. Chelsea's a beatable team right now. Mm-hmm. I think that this is the best time of the year to play Chelsea, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, out of out of all three other teams in the quarters, I said it yesterday and I, I really meant it. Chelsea is probably the one that I'd want to play right now. Um, 
I think Arsenal is always going to be Arsenal. It doesn't matter if they're in the championship. That's going to be a fucking hell of a game, right? And I don't want to deal with that until the final. Um, Same. And Liverpool is scary as shit, man. They're they're it's Liverpool. I don't want anything to do with that either, right? Um, and Chelsea is just kind of they're not stuttering, but they're flattening. They're they're, they're you know the curve is flattening uh, on their 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 upwards trajectory, right? As a club, and I think we all kind of suspected that could be the case, right? Um, a lot of talent and a lot of work to do still with all that talent. So I'm ready for Chelsea. Um, and I'm actually pretty excited that it's at the bridge. Um, I have, I have this dream of Delhi just fucking them over at Stamford Bridge, man. <laughs> I really do. He's done it once. Right. So, um, and he's back. Yeah. So. And I, I think it's really, uh, convenient and, and handy that the second leg is at home. Um, cause I think if we can, if we can go to the bridge and come out, you know, at best level, that sets us up really well to, to, to be comfortable and get that crowd yeah. behind the team, which how incredible was that crowd yesterday? Even oh, from yeah. TV, it sounded just yeah. absolutely incredible. And well, you know, what's interesting else- about that too, it, it was only about 40,000. I mean, it was not a, a, there were many swaths of the upper level that were, yeah. that were not even full, but, but even for a, a lesser crowd for a midweek cup match. Yes, you're right. It was a loud it was crowd. Electric. Um, and something else to keep in mind with this, these fixtures is the, the return leg of both of these semifinals is going to be happening during the Africa Cup of Nations. So Chelsea is going to be without Edouard Mendy and Net. They're going to be without Hakim Ziyech. And then on the other, on the other side, uh, Liverpool isn't going to have Mohamed Salah. Mane? Uh, they're not going to have Mane. Arsenal is going to be without uh, Thomas Partey. And well, it doesn't matter, but Aubameyang as well. Who? So, Obama who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there, th- that is gonna, definitely gonna gonna factor into this because at very least, that's two players that are out of the rotation for them because they have a packed January also. So there's a, a lot of things that are gonna play into this that's gonna make it really interesting. And I hope that it stays two legs, honestly. <laughs> Because I, I, I do too. Gives, Don't we all? Nobody, no Tottenham shot. fan yeah. wants. Love you, Scott. No Tottenham fan wants to go to the bridge. That, that there's no and have that be our <laughs> have that be our cup fate. Nobody wants that. Like I 100 yeah, yeah. agree with you, Dakota. The fact that the second leg is at home is the is the difference for Tottenham in this tie. It's huge. I forgot yeah. that it was two legs when I said I'm glad it's at the bridge. So. That that just proves that Scott doesn't <laughs> listen to the podcast he's on because I had said it about 10 seconds prior to throwing it to him. So. Here we go. Uh, uh, guys, it, we, we still have a lot to discuss on this edition of the Tottenham Depot. We're going to talk about uh, Spurs officially being out of Europe because we didn't get a chance to do that on the last pod. We're also going to look ahead to the weekend against Crystal Palace. Before we do any of that, though, uh, we've got Caroline Stefko with another Spurs women's segment, and we'll do that right now. Uh, let's throw it over to Caroline, and we'll be back after that to talk uh, about the Spurs looking forward on the men's side. <laughs> Hey y'all, this is Caroline, back at the Tottenham Depot for another Spurs Women update. The team just finished a round of three fixtures right before the winter break, and I'm happy to say that they were all wins. I'll share a few highlights from each game, and then wrap things up with a recap of the season so far. So first up, we had an away match against Aston Villa in the WSL. 
Villa scored first, but we were able to make the comeback 2-1 win. Kaya Simon finally got onto the score sheet for Spurs by converting a penalty that was won by Rhea Percival, and then Rachel Williams scored the game winner off of an assist from Jessica Naz. The growing partnership between Williams and Naz has really been one of the highlights of the last few games, and it's great to see our forward line finally starting to sink. There was also a controversial moment in this match when Villa were denied a goal uh, because of the lack of goal line technology. Now, personally, from the camera angle that we were provided, I didn't see that you could definitively say it was a goal, and the linesman did say that it was no goal, but <laughs> I think it's sad to say But this Spurs women's season has been perhaps the best argument for adopting VAR in the WSL, because we have had quite a few sketchy decisions go our way. We then had a midweek match in the League Cup. That was our final match day for the group stage against Coventry United. And after a 3-2 win, we were able to advance to the next round. It wasn't a cut-and-dry win like I think a lot of us were expecting. Of course, the match wasn't televised or streamed, so we were all just relying on updates from the club. Uh, But some positives from the match include seeing some more academy players get some minutes. Uh, Izzy Lane, who had had her breakout game against Watford, also in the group stage, got her first start for the team and assisted the first goal that Esther Morgan scored. Um, We also had Scarlett Williams make her debut for the club, so that was great to see. And Rachel Williams once again had to come in clutch for the team uh, to score a game winner after Coventry chipped away our two-goal lead. They've already done the draw for the quarterfinals, and we will be playing Liverpool at home. Our last match for December was a narrow 1-0 home victory over Everton women. Now, I admit that I had slightly underestimated Everton coming into this game based on their results so far this season, uh, but they really brought the game to us and pretty much dominated in the first half. Uh, Luckily, we were able to turn things around in the second half after going into halftime scoreless, and Jessica Naz scored the only goal of the match. It was an absolutely beautiful shot, and yet another link-up between her and Rachel Williams, who got the assist. So thanks to that win, we were able to maintain our third-place spot going into the winter break. We're almost at the halfway point through the season, so the fact that we are firmly in the Champions League qualification spot is huge. And we have also already equaled our entire points total from last season with 20 points. The next round of matches in January feels really far away just because we have so many men's matches to watch in the meantime. Uh, But coming up next month, it's going to be a pretty tough one. We start things off with Chelsea away. And then we have a chance for revenge against West Ham because we will be playing them at home. And also we're going to be playing Manchester United away. That's basically a six-pointer because they're our main competition for that third-place spot right now. And then we wrap things up with the FA Cup game against Leicester at home. It really is pretty incredible how much of an improvement the team has made since last season. And it got me thinking about who have been the difference makers this season that have allowed us to make such a big leap in performances and results. So I think, first and foremost, we've got to give a shout-out to Rachel Williams. Um, She is a veteran player in the league, and definitely you can tell that she is a leader on the team. I get the impression from her post-match interviews that she's really been um, focusing on mentoring the younger players on the team, 
And we have seen a lot of players who were just starting to develop last season, uh, starting to hit their stride this season. I think a good um, couple of examples would be Angela Addison and especially Jessica Naz. Uh, you could see, you know, especially Naz's potential last season really just blossoming this year. I've also been really impressed with one of our new signings this season, Maeva Clemeron. She's just become a very solid presence in the midfield. She can defend as well as progress the ball. She's just truly doing it all, you know, being that first line of defense, but also getting things started on the playmaking front. The fact that we have two extremely capable goalkeepers has also made a huge difference this season. At this point, I honestly have no idea who Rian considers her first choice keeper. At first, I thought that Corpola was just going to be filling in for as long as Becky Spencer was injured, but we've seen Becky uh, returning to the bench and Corpola still starting, and you honestly can't make an argument that she should step down because she's just been performing so well. But having so much competition for that spot is a win-win situation. You know, you feel comfortable no matter who's between the sticks, and you know that there's someone capable, ready to take over if, God forbid, an injury happens. I think that perhaps the biggest difference this season has been that Rian um, had that full preseason to work with the team. She was able to get in some of the players that she wanted, and now she's really just been able to set the tone from the top down that, you know, the team's going to work harder than every opponent. We're going to believe that we can challenge these top teams that we've been able to get results from, and just to have some ambition for the club. And I think that has led to the team, you know, perhaps overperforming expectations and proving that we are genuine contenders this year. It's also been really encouraging to see the backing from the men's side of the club. Um, Not just the fact that we're one of the few women's teams that uses the same training ground as the men's team, but also they've done a great job of helping to promote the games. And, you know, I would love to see some more games played at the main stadium especially for some of those uh, marquee matchups with the you know top clubs in the league. Another positive from this season has been that the Youth Academy has become a really promising source of talent, seeing uh, some of those players like Izzy Lane and Scarlett Williams already getting game time in the cup competitions is really exciting, and hopefully we'll be able to see one of them make their WSL debut very soon. If you subscribe to my newsletter, Spurs Across the Pond, you'll have already heard about the rumor that Christy Mewis could be potentially looking to come to Spurs. During the NWSL expansion draft, she was picked up by one of the new clubs from her current club, Houston Dash, but they ended up trading her to Gotham FC. But the word on the street is that she's still unlikely to play in the NWSL next season. So whether that means uh, transferring to another team in Europe Or she could still be looking for a short-term loan to a WSL club to keep up her fitness in between um, an American season if she does decide to stay in the NWSL. So there's still a chance that she could come to Spurs. Um, We can still hold on to that hope. (laughs) Either way, it's going to be exciting to see uh, what potential transfers incoming we might have this January to uh, bolster that attack and maybe... Um, bring in a short-term replacement for Kit Graham since she's going to be out the rest of the season. Well, that's all I have for y'all today. So let's just brace ourselves for that grueling January round of fixtures. And I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas if you're celebrating. And come on, you Spurs. 
Welcome back into the Tottenham Depot. Thanks again to Caroline Stefko for that Spurs women's segment. Uh, we really enjoy hearing those bits about the women and how well they're doing. And they really, they really are doing well. They're performing really well this season. It's been, uh, mm-hmm. it's been fun to catch some of that. Um, guys, I wanted to talk about this decision from UEFA that finally came down on Monday. Of course, it came down a day after we recorded our last podcast. Um, but Spurs are officially out of the Euro- European Conference League. Um, and I know that none of us are really going to be that brokenhearted about it. Uh, in fact, some of us might be happy about it uh, because it's fewer games to play in kind of what is a, a really a Mickey Mouse competition, for, for for lack of a better term. But I also think that this is a wild decision from UEFA, considering the ability that they would have had to reschedule something like this and the precedent that it now sets that they kind of have, have in my mind, they've forced themselves to follow um, because if something like this happens to a Europa league team or a champ or God forbid, a champions league team, they're kind of going to have to go by the letter of the law and do the same type of thing. And it just seems like this match could have been played with, with Spurs and, and Ren. Um, but in, instead it's Ren and Vitesse that, that, that move on from the group and Spurs, you know, get handed a three nil defeat. Dakota, what do you think about that from it, from that standpoint, from the UEFA standpoint, rather than I, I, I think, like I said, we all kind of agree. Nobody really cares that Spurs got knocked out of Europe. We're focused on domestic cups and, and the premier league, but from UEFA standpoint, isn't this kind of a, an interesting decision? Yeah, I, I think you're right. No, nobody. It's like, oh no. Anyway, uh, <laughs> in terms of us being out of this competition, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a dangerous precedent that they've set for themselves. Um, I mean, they've basically said that the bigger error is Spurs being contracted with COVID rather than Ren making it difficult to schedule the match, um, which is you know, bonkers to me. Um, and, and some, to, to use a word that some of the players have used unfair. So I'm interested to see how this continues because as, you know, cases continue to rise and as more and more uh, teams become affected by this, you know, there's quite a few teams in England that are in the champions league and in the Europa league and even in the conference league that, are going to inevitably have to deal with this same situation again. And they're going to have to go by the letter of the law. And, you know, for God, God forbid this happens in a semifinal or right during a final no, it's, or something <clears throat> like that. And it's, I, they're not going to have to go by the saying, letter of the law. You, it's fucking UEFA. They're right. going to do whatever the fuck they want. Nobody gives a shit about the conference league. Like if this happens to somebody that has more pulling power than a Vitesse or a Ren, we're going to be having an entirely different conversation. Exceptions are going to be made. People are going to finger point, say shit's not fair. And UEFA is going to do whatever the shit they want to do anyway, because it's all about the dollars. These are facts. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's true. But if it were all about the right. dollars, wouldn't they want a team from the premier league in their competition? Wouldn't no, nobody gives a fuck about the conference league. No one cares. The right. amount of money so that happened- they make from this, from a sponsorship dollar perspective is nominal. This is just, it is literally a third rate competition. As far as UEFA is concerned, they don't care. Right. So what happens when Real Madrid gets COVID and can't travel to Paris to play PSG in the quarterfinals of the 
Right. They're they're going to fly. They're going to fly. They're going to either postpone it. They're going to fly to a neutral site. They're going to do everything that they can do to make sure that that match goes ahead so that the headlines can say PSG versus Real Madrid. This is UEFA we're talking about. This is no one organization that is rife with corruptions. Like, like, let's stop stop talking about what UEFA's perspective is, because fuck them. It's like the IOC. You know, Good truth. These are facts. No, Todd, I think you're right. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't want you to be in that sense. Um, but it, it is weird because like these knockout rounds are not going to be played until I think February. It's like, why was there such a deadline put on this? There, these these matches could have been played uh, or this match rather could have been played all throughout the month of January at any point in time. And it's just like, no, we're not going to do that. You're out. It's It just seems weird. And like I said, None of us are really bent about it. None of us are really actually upset I'm happy. about it. I'm very happy. Exactly. We, we, may, we maybe even feel the opposite of that. So well, and the, the fact that the, the people and there's folks out there that are making noise like, oh, you know, Tottenham fans acting like they didn't, they're happy that they're out of the conference league as though they're trophy cabinet and blah, blah, blah. Just stop. The fact is, is that this and, and I'm going to sound like Klopp for a quick second. Like, oh, the, boy, the the, the uh, uh <laughs> The fixture congestion is a, is a real fucking problem. It at is this time of the year. It's a real fucking problem. Let alone COVID, right? Let alone the 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 all of the things that are going on in Europe that make us shake our head when it comes to COVID and the way that it's being handled. Those things aside, we're already playing back to back to back matches over the course of six days. Yeah, yeah. Let alone I mean, the travel. Let alone the travel. Like I just like the, the, out, being out of Europe, being in the semifinal of a cup. Having and Markham, Markham, however you're, pro- the shrimps, let's fucking go in the FA Cup, and then seeing scummy, chavy, scummy, chavy over the course of like four successive matches. Like I'm not trying to think about Europe too, Andrew. I don't want that, especially not in a third-rate trash can competition. Well, I think the other point too that 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 just needs to be made about this competition in in general is that Spurs were very much in a lose-lose situation being in it. Because if they, you know, getting into the competition, it's like, oh, ha-ha, you're in the third-tier the third tier European competition. So we everybody can point and laugh at Tottenham. Uh, if you get knocked out of the competition, it's like, oh, ha-ha, you couldn't even win that third-rate competition. And then if you win it, it's like... Oh, ha ha. Good for you. You won the third rate European competition. Exactly. It really is uh, just an opportunity for Spurs to get bantered at no matter what the case. So the fact that they can now point to and say, yeah, we got knocked out, but it wasn't really on our own doing. And granted, I will say Tottenham should not have been in position to need to win on the last match day in order to advance. They did that to themselves. And that's that what's done is done and and we can't really change that but spurs were never even being in this competition they were never in a position to have any kind of positive non-banter success coming out of it um i just would like to never see this competition for tottenham ever again if mm-hmm. if, if you ask me like don't ever finish what is it sixth again or seventh is it sixth or seventh i don't even remember Seven. i guess it depends I guess it depends on 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 what some other teams do, but like don't don't ever get into this competition again. Get into the Europa League or the Champions League. Don't Dude, get into deal. the Conference League. I mean, I'm I am also very happy we're out of the competition. Now, I wish obviously that it was because our U21s went down to France, or actually, I guess in in London, right, got smoked by Rennes, or maybe lost in a heartbreaker or something. I hate that 
it came at the expense of health. And I know you guys all feel the same, right? But I just, I, uh, you know, I'm, I, I think we look at Conte and the fact that he's just kind of a master at navigating through domestic competitions. Um, and we say that he's going to just be able to focus on what he's best at. Right. Um, and that's what, that's what the best people in any profession do. They're really good at, they're really good at something and they focus on that, you know, and I'm not saying he won't win European titles. I'm sure he will in his career, but let the man focus on what he does well, which is win fucking domestic leagues and snag those trophies. Right. I think he got at least one domestic trophy at Chelsea, if not a couple, right. In his two years there. So, um, we, we need something, right? And I'd almost take a Carabao Cup or an FA Cup over a, over a you know, UEFA Conference Champions League or whatever it is at this point. Well, at this point, we don't have a chance, which is yeah. which is the other which is the yeah. other good thing. Done. Top um, four in a trophy. Top four in a trophy. trophy is what it's all about. Well, listen, guys, the the top four uh, jaunts, it, 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 it resumes on Sunday because Spurs uh, have a bit of revenge to get. They welcome Crystal Palace to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for a Boxing Day affair. And if you we remember back to Spurs' last match against Crystal Palace, it was not good. Uh, it was a 3-0 defeat. It saw Jaffa Tanganga sent off after two yellow cards in a matter of minutes. This was uh, Nuno Espirito Santo's first Premier League loss as Tottenham Hotspur manager after three wins to start the year. And it was really, really bad. And it was a weird team. Sun was missing from the lineup. Uh you know, we had, I think it was like wink. It was a, like a winks and uh, skip Wink, and Hoybier Hoybier. midfield, yep. which just didn't really at the time, you know, it didn't, didn't go well. Uh, it started a, a three pack of London Derby defeats. So this is kind of a big one for, for a little bit of a revenge factor. You really need to, to, to pick those three points right back up that you dropped earlier in the season. So it's the first, um, if, if, if my memory serves, it's the first return fixture for Spurs. They have yet to play uh, Southampton, but they will get that chance on Tuesday following this match, which is a hell of a turnaround as well. And as Dakota spoke to earlier, rotation is needed at this time of year. <laughs> you got a match Sunday. You got another match Tuesday. Uh, then you turn around. You got another match Saturday. Then the cup matches the following week. Uh, it's it's a lot of matches coming here thick and fast. So um, especially if that Carabao Cup that we talked about stays two legs. So um, Dakota, what's your outlook going into this one? Crystal Palace. You know, I, I don't really know what to make of that team. They're, they 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 they. I wouldn't call them a bogey team. I don't think they're that. I don't think they get that credit, but they are very much a, a mid table um, kind of a, a, a spunky team, right? They're, they're, they're spunky is how I would describe them. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I mean, look, if you're looking at their kind of place in the table, I think it speaks exactly what kind of season they're having and speaks exactly what you're saying. They're 11th right now with four wins, eight draws, five losses, sitting on 20 points with a zero goal difference. Like, what do you make of that team? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I think this stretch of games that we're going to see in through the month of January is really going to tell uh, Antonio Conte and his staff and Fabio Caratici what kind of depth we actually have, who we can actually rely on as rotational players. And hopefully we can avoid all the injuries that typically come at this time. And, uh, yeah, I think we're going to learn about the team this January and hopefully we find out who they are really quickly. 
so we can use that January window to fill some some holes that might be desperately uh, needing to be filled. And another a side note for me on uh, this match against Crystal Palace, I'm I'm really excited to watch Connor Gallagher play. I've been uh, waiting for you to bring it up. Like God, Dakota to... has the biggest man crush on Connor Gallagher. Every time that man plays football, guys, oh gosh, I know he's a Chelsea product, but oh my days, Connor Gallagher. So please, man, go ahead, let him. Know. I'm ex- I'm just excited that I don't have to flip the channel to watch him play <laughs> this this match day. But, Keep it your yeah, pants, we, gotta watch, we gotta watch out for him. And him and Edson Edward, who came on and, and scored two goals Back in the last brace. six minutes, yeah. uh, in his you know uh, appearance last last time out. So, yeah, definitely some revenge on the on, on the cards. Hopefully, like you mentioned, Andrew. The the other thing to note about this match is that the Palace will enter it having not played in a week and a half. They had their match uh, last weekend against Watford postponed. They were one of what was it six of the ten. Premier League matches last weekend were postponed. So Spurs will have played twice since Palace have played a match. Uh, so they will come in fresh as, as, as any team could at this time of year um, into a Boxing Day affair. Now, I don't know what their COVID situation is. I think no one really knows what anyone's COVID situation is. But, you know, it's just one of those kinds of things that we all kind of are adapting to and not knowing who's going to be available on a given day. We're doing it in, in us sports as well with games being moved and, and players being, you know, taken out of lineups left and right. So, um, yeah. but, but for, for whatever they might be dealing with injury wise, health wise, they will at least, you know, they will at least be around uh, <laughs> for, for, for having, having had about a week and a half off entering. This well, game. they didn't, they didn't have Zaha the last time they played us. Like, I mean, they, they miss people. It's listen, this is, it's a London Derby. We always play way better against palace at home than we do at sellers park. Um, so it's whatever. We'll be, we'll be fine. This palace. They're going to get thumped. Let's yeah. Go. Well, I think the big difference between then and now is, I mean, uh, did Zaha not play? Is that what you just said? Yeah, Zaha didn't play. Oh, he did not. But either way, Zaha's going to be kept quiet, I, I would suspect, by Emerson and Sanchez pretty well. Even if he plays on the right side, you know, Davies and Regulon will do a job there for sure. I think PEH does a good job of keeping Gallagher quiet, and I don't think Palace has a sniff of anything going forward against us. So as long as we can continue to find the goals, which are now coming under Conte, I think we'll brush Palace aside pretty, pretty steadily. And I'm not talking like a three or four nil win. It could be like a one or two nil, but I don't think they have a sniff at goal, to be honest. Well, it'll just be interesting, too, to see what kind of rotation Spurs have to do because of, you know, having to play a match 48 hours later. They have a match against Southampton on Tuesday. So, yeah. But I mean, uh, I, so let me ask you that question, Andrew. What do you expect? I mean, everybody's in the same position. So you expect. Um, uh, multiple rotations against Palace and try to fight through? Do you expect – I mean, and obviously we're using all five subs because we just don't have that many interchangeable players on the well, side. Three three subs in Premier League matches. I'm sorry, all three subs. Uh, do you expect heavy rotation or do you expect to go hard against Palace and then see a fully rotated side against Southampton. I don't expect them to fully rotate, no, on, on, on either side. But but I think it's important to note that right now we don't really know what to... You, you asked me what I expect. I have no fucking idea, only because 
I don't know who has their lungs right now after maybe having COVID or maybe not having COVID or, or coming I mean, back from shot, coming back from a- from what or you know. I, look, man, I'm a, I'm a gambling man, uh, as as you well know. I you got to wait these days to, to to look at betting lines and everything because you don't know who's playing in, in and and this is this goes beyond the world of of Premier League football, obviously. Like you don't know who's playing in what games when. Um, you just don't like, I think we'll know Saturday night, Sunday morning and Antonio Conte's in the same boat. He'll know that too. Who's going to play Sunday and come Tuesday. He'll know then like who, who, who has recovered from Sunday, uh, enough to be able to give him, you know, the minutes that is needed. So it's, I don't know. I don't know what, what kind of rotation will be seen, um, we're just i think we're 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 all day to day as they might say and i think he has to kind of play that that way i don't think he can expect to rotate fully on on either side i think he's going to have to use the players he has and uh maybe we see a little bit more youth on the bench than we're used to uh perhaps going forward in the next few matches but i do think that he wants to be able to turn in you know full effort performances over these next handful of matches leading up to the little break that they'll get for the cup matches to play those. So what is it? It's palace um, Southampton. And then Watford, I believe is, is, is after that before they dive into uh, the cup matches. So those are three, three really important games that are also three really good opportunities to get nine points total. And, and I think Spurs, if they don't come away with, you know, a good amount of points from this, you know, seven points, I think at minimum, I think they'll have to look at that as a somewhat of a disappointment, you know, given the opposition. So we'll, we'll see. We'll kind of see how that goes. But uh, this is the time of the show where we kind of just wish everybody a very happy Christmas because it is that time of year. And you could be listening to this. Uh, you could be off in the corner right now listening to this, trying to avoid your family after after Christmas dinner or something like that. Or maybe you just opened up a. A, a new a new gift under the tree and 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 want to go hide in the corner from everyone um and you know this is this is just the, the the time of year that we say happy christmas and uh and and a happy holidays to everyone uh we've enjoyed doing this grateful for for, for all the, the love and support out there uh we're going to be back on sunday for a boxing day recap of this crystal palace match uh and we will talk about that then uh, we'll also look ahead then to you know Southampton, Watford, all these matches that that we keep talking about. It's um, it's it's much much to do, much much for Spurs to do, and much for us to talk about, which is what makes it fun and and uh, and how much we enjoy it. So thanks again to Caroline Stefko for the women's segment. Thanks to Dakota. You can follow him at Dakota J Booth. You can follow the Todd Father himself at TC underscore Show. Follow Scott at DSM Spurs and follow me at A Stetka. And most importantly. Follow us at Tottenham Depot on Twitter and Instagram and spread the word. We are trying to, you know, get in every Spurs fan's ears as much as we can. Uh, tell a friend, tell a Spurs loving friend uh, that you've got the podcast for them to listen to. And it is the Tottenham Depot until Sunday. When we talk to you after Boxing Day, this has been the Tottenham Depot podcast. As always, come on, you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, who really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot. And as always, come on, you Spurs.